0: There's too many locks. There's too many. I can't do it. I do. I can't get it off. I'm sorry, okay? You understand? I'm sorry. Not off me. You no. hear me? I'm sorry. No. I'm
1: sorry. No. Get down now. I can help get down. Down. Get down. No. Get you. Get down. Down. Stay down. get down. Get down. Everybody stay down. No. Stay down. I said the
0: everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood celebrities. Each month we take one artist, actor, director, whatever, and then we look at the uh, Rotten Tomatoes for that person, and we review the highest rated and the lowest rated according to Rotten Tomatoes. And then we invite you guys to listen along and tell us what went right and what went wrong. Right now we're up to Catherine Bigelow. We're going to be doing a director for this one. It's going to be a female director, and we chose Catherine Bigelow. Her movies are going to be The Hurt Locker and The Weight of Water, and then we'll do a B-roll after that. But right now, we're going to be talking about Hurt Locker. My name's Wes Dylan I'm joined by
1: Clay McCormick. Clay, how are you? I'm good. You know, I was watching this movie, and, and the whole time, I just couldn't stop thinking, watching this lead actor and thinking, man, I wonder what his music sounds like. Or, I wish there was an app that would show me pictures of just him and like what he looks like driving an Audi. <laughs> have, you, have you come across the Jeremy Renner app yet?
0: I haven't, I've seen it only screenshotted, uh, by people on Twitter. I, I couldn't tell for the longest time if it was a real thing or not, because people were kind of oh, reacting real. to it. Like it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, have you seen the, the commercial, that with that that features has his original music, which yes. it's, it's really fascinating because remember how when we covered, um, imagine dragons and we said, Oh, this just looks like a car ad. Yes. Well, this is a car ad that features music by Jeremy Renner that apparently someone thinks is desirable, mm-hmm. and it just sounds exactly like Imagine Dragons. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's like it's. It wouldn't surprise me if it was just him doing Imagine Dragons karaoke.
0: Yeah, I don't. I can't get a. Uh, I can't get a firm grasp on Jeremy Renner. I don't think he he vacillates wildly between cool and uncool all the time.
1: <laughs> I think, like, <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if he takes himself too seriously or not seriously at all. That's a good know? way to
0: put it. Yeah, I, I can't tell if he um, I can't tell if he's like in on the joke and he thinks this is funny or if he thinks this is actually the coolest thing he's ever uh, ever done. Yeah, you know? yeah. Let's um, we're gonna take a break and play a trailer for the Hurt Locker just to catch you guys up on it. and Then we'll come back and we'll break it down.
1: Welcome to Camp Victory. Oh, Camp Victory. I this was. oh no they changed that about a a week ago victory sound better all right so what do you got the car has been parked illegally the suspension is sagging there's definitely something heavy in the trunk interesting what's he doing i'm gonna die i'm gonna die comfortable how many bombs have you disarmed 873. 873? You're a wild man. You know that? That wasn't so bad. First time working together? What do you think? I think us working together means I talk to you and you talk to me. You going on a date, Sanborn? My team leader is inspiring. He's gonna get me killed. What's the best way to go about disarming one of these things? The way you don't die, sir. That was good. What do we have here?
0: This box is full of stuff. that almost killed me. What about this one? Where's this one from, Will? It's my wedding ring. Like I said, stuff that almost killed me.
1: <laughs> Put down the phone! Burn him, i I can't get a shot! I was scared. Yeah? Well, everyone's a coward about something. We're going on a mission. And my job is to keep you safe so we can keep going on missions. It's combat, buddy. Go! Go! Everybody get back! Go, go, go! You realize every time you suit up, it's life or death. Found something. You roll the dice.
0: deal with it. oh boy all right so the hurt locker came from 2008 although i saw a few sources say 2009 on hbo it's an american war drama film directed by Kathryn bigelow written by mark Bowl. it stars jeremy renner anthony mackie brian garrity Christian Camargo, Ralph Fiennes, David Morris, and Guy Pierce follows an Iraq War explosive ordnance disposal team who are targeted by insurgents and shows their psychological reactions to the stress of combat, which is intolerable to some and addictive to others. Bull, writing the screenplay, drew on his experience during embedded access in the Iraqi war. So, we're talking about Hurt Locker, Clay. You were, you were big on... Um, Catherine Bigelow as the selection mm. to do this is there a reason you wanted to do that
1: before we get into this uh, specific movie? Um well, she's uh she's a high-profile female director which uh at the time, you know, uh, this movie's kind of interesting because when this came out, this had a huge reception. It got nominated. I think it won best picture, I think. Yep, one best the picture year it was out. And uh it was like all of a sudden people on both sides of the equation were like who is this brand new uh, woman director that's come who's, out of nowhere? Who's this young up-and-coming like, up 50-year-old? <laughs> yeah, she's been making great movies since, like, the the late the early 80s. She did Near Dark, which we're going to do for the B-roll. She did Point Fucking Break. Yep. Uh, Thin Blue or Blue Steel with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Strangeland. She's been making movies for a long time, and she's a great director. And it's just really interesting how it just exploded into think pieces as though this woman – stepped out of nowhere to, to, uh, uh, be the, uh, the hot new thing overnight success. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, um, I wanted to do the, do this one. Uh, I, I, I'm assuming you're going to, at the beginning, reclip the clip of me saying I desperately want to do Kathy. <laughs> of course. <yeah. laughs> um, but yeah, she, she has a really interesting, uh, swath of movie making over the years where her style changes quite a bit um if you look at near dark even going near dark to point break it feels very different as far as what she's doing and then uh this movie and zero dark 30 and i think i haven't seen detroit but i'm going to assume it's probably in the same wheelhouse all have that kind of uh uh modern almost documentary style to it which i think she uses really effectively in this one i actually was going to ask you uh just getting into it right off the top. Do you think? Do you feel like the style feels dated at all, or do you think it still works? No, I think it still works. Um, I think so too. Yeah, it's
0: it's less stylized than something like um, Soderbergh directed. Uh, what is that drug movie? Uh, Traffic. 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 It feels a little bit more stylized and feels a little bit more dated in sure. in that movie. Uh, a lot, this, lot more filters in that movie. Yeah, there's a lot of filters, which which obviously affect your mood. Um, I think it holds up here. I think I think it's appropriate for the style and everything. I, I don't I don't feel. Are there a lot of movies around this time that came out with this style? It feels like it's kind of a war movie thing to do, uh, very commonly. And action movies have certainly gone this way uh, in in a lot of ways. And it's easy to do with a lower budget to make movies like this. But I think it works thematically for the material so i think it's appropriate here and it doesn't feel bad
1: yeah i think so too yeah it, this this sort of style um i feel it was born out of the found footage movement that came in the late 90s uh with your blair witches and your uh i don't know what the next one after that was but um Rec- sort of bled, record or whatever electric. like yeah it sort of bled from uh, interestingly enough it bled from horror movies into more mainstream movies and it's excuse me It's, uh, yeah, they use it a lot in action movies to varying degrees of success. I think the biggest problem with using it in action movies is they decided like, oh, well, if we just shake the camera, we don't even have to choreograph a fight scene. Right. Um, and that's where it gets really annoying. But in something like this, where it's not only is it, they doing sort of a shaky camera thing, but it's changing point of view a lot. So you're not entirely just watching things from the omniscient, uh, uh movie god camera angle you are getting like shots from what might be someone watching from behind a corner or you know that kind of thing it makes it feel a lot more real um whereas action movie style doesn't make it feel real it just makes it feel more kinetic which isn't necessarily a good thing and also for as much kind of quote unquote shaky camera as is used here i think the storytelling is is fantastic i think that you don't lose anything in the style um it just really goes to uh add to the uh realism of it and i think that's where it's it's used the best is um yeah war movies or anything anything where they're trying to in, uh, inject realism to it usually with something based on a a real event like uh uh did they do i, just, I think they did the same kind of thing in like united 93 mm. or uh you know anything that requires you to feel like it's more real they tend to do this kind of stuff
0: yeah yeah it was apparently a um editing nightmare uh, the oh, way, I can imagine. The, the way they shot, there were apparently four film groups in Jordan where they shot the movie, uh, just a couple miles from the Iraqi border. And- I was
1: wondering where they shot it, actually, because it didn't even occur. It's one of those things where, you know, a movie is, is is you, you realize a movie is really effective when you're about an hour in or 45 minutes in, and you're like, holy, holy shit, where did they shoot this? Because mm-hmm. this is, like, legit. Yeah. You can't just shoot this in, like burbank or right. you know even like new mexico or something this is really somewhere out in the middle east it seems anyway so yeah it doesn't surprise me to find out it was in, in jordan or somewhere like
0: that. yeah they originally were planning for uh morocco but bigelow thought that morocco doesn't look like baghdad enough or it doesn't look iraqi mm-hmm. enough the architecture is mm-hmm. too different it's too african uh so yeah, they moved to jordan which was the uh fine but is also obviously very close to the actual um event itself which is the iraq conflict They couldn't get closer to Iraq because the security teams could not protect them from sniper fire was the the reason. Uh, Apparently, the film crews were shot at during the course of making the movie. Um, It was 120 degrees every single day. The actors were on edge. Everyone was on edge. And apparently, there were four film crews going around different areas filming everything. And the editors were complaining that it was a a mess because of the sheer amount of footage they've got. And because it was shot in this faux documentary style, the cameraman. Cameramen aren't obeying the 180 degree camera rule. So it's difficult to edit scenes together when the camera for people unfamiliar that you're supposed, you know, you're quote unquote supposed to keep for the audience's benefit. All action is supposed to take place on like the same plane of what you're looking at. So Mm -hmm. if you're cutting back and forth between people, the camera should stay on the same side of those people talking to each other. And if you're filming kind of on the running gun, You're obviously not thinking about that, and you're just filming from all angles, and the editing becomes difficult when you're trying to match shots.
1: Yeah, there are some crews that actually have gotten really good at it. Like, uh, um, I remember the movie The Mist that came out, the Stephen King adaptation. Uh, The guys who shot that, I believe, were the guys who worked on, like, 24, which also has a very kind of kinetic uh, uh, documentary kind of feel to it. And they just move like – that. you can watch some of the special features of these guys working and stuff, and they just work like a total unit. So they, they've got two or three cameras going at all times, but they're never crossing each other's shots. Yep. And they're always keeping – making sure that the orientation is right. And it's, it's really impressive if you get a crew that can do that stuff effectively.
0: There's always – there's a – um behind the scenes of Arrested Development, which was kind of unusual at the time for a sitcom to use multi... Cam- they were using multiple yeah. cameras, but shooting at single camera format. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. standard sitcom thing. But it's very funny, you know, where the actors are doing like physical comedy bits and they're just filming the cameramen who are trying to like run around them to get yeah. the shots of everything. And the cameramen are <laughs> are yelling at each other like, did you get that? Did anybody get that? Did, did that happen? It's it's a very um stressful cameraman position, I think, to be in when the actors are kind of doing... Not improv, but they're you know, reacting um
1: sort of off the cuff and the cameramen have to capture everything. It's uh it's also fascinating to me that they were shooting a movie like this so close to the actual um war. Yeah. She wanted realism with her episodes. quotes, yeah. everything yeah. I read yeah, about it. it. Yeah. It uh it's actually um it's not entirely uncommon. Maybe well, I mean, you know, we, we haven't had a war like this since Vietnam, but um, and I don't think anybody was in Vietnam shooting that stuff at the time uh, for a movie like this. But there's a movie, a uh, silent film called Jacuse from 1918. It's a uh, it's sort of a an anti-war movie about World War One. And they actually shoot on battlefields of the First World War while the war was still going on. Like the area they're shooting on is, is you know, cleared out or whatever. But they were still shooting the movie while battles on the Western Front were still happening. And I think there were um I think the place they, they shot may have seen more action before the actual end of the war. I can't remember, but it's it's pretty pretty ballsy to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um And it explains the, the uh the level of tension being that high explains why all the famous people were only in the movie for like thirty five <laughs> seconds.
0: <laughs> That's I said that to Amy last night when we were watching it. It's like what a um uh, I don't know if Bigelow is calling in favors or something, but yeah, you literally are flying out all the name actors for basically like a minute tops. Like Guy Pierce is yeah. kind of the big one because he appears in the opening, um, and it's kind of a shocking death for him. I think at that time when the movie came out for him to die so early. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one is the sort of aggressive uh, general or whatever who wants to talk to Renner
1: Renner's character about how many it's things. Weird. It's such a weird cameo because he like he's in one scene prior to that. That doesn't really do much except show, like, some of the brutality of what's going on. And he, then, yeah, he leaves just, an
0: Iraqi to die, basically. He says he can't spare the ambulance or whatever, the medics, to come help him.
1: Yeah, and then he has another scene where he just pulls Renner aside and he's like, hey, you're that bomb guy, right? Man, that stuff you do is so cool. Is it, is it as cool as it seems? And he's like, well, I don't know. And He's like, no, really. Is it cool? And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. It's cool. Yeah, It's I, really cool, isn't it?
0: I think they're... And then he's I gone they're, from the rest of the movie. I think they're effective, like his, that cameo, the, uh, I guess I'll do the little facts about this before we get into it. Sure. So this came out in the 2008 Venice International Film Fest is when it was released. It came out in the US in 2009. That's why there's the difference. Uh, it received universal acclaim from critics. They pra- praised the directing, the cast, the writing, and the action sequences. Nominated for nine Academy Awards, it won six, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. It was the first best picture winner by a female director, which is interesting. So, um, yeah, I think that the, like, I, I think that those little cameos are actually pretty effective. The general uh, is a good one just because he is, in my mind, the movie is really just about the different kinds of personalities that go into this stressful situation and how they all react to it. And mm-hmm. the pairing of the three bomb ordnance disposal guys are very clear cut. Um, and right. the the general the general's di- uh, different his foil would be the psychiatrist that gets blown up like they're, they're supposed mm-hmm. to be opposite of each other and mm-hmm. the general is perfectly suited to praise the renner character because he clearly wants to be the wild man like he want he sees right, right. he sees the war as not a very personal or emotionally affecting thing you can see that through the scene where he leaves the iraqi to die he he views it more as a He gets some kind of like almost like sociopathic pleasure from doing what they're doing. Yeah, I don't know if he's – I wouldn't say that he's a sociopath or anything, but he takes that track towards what they're doing where the psychiatrist is the opposite who you could argue dies because he tries to handle it a different way. He tries to be nice to those Iraqis who are moving the rocks Mm -hmm. and he ends up standing on the the IED in the thing and Mm -hmm. gets blown up. And I think that's the main – Besides the action sequences and the like, the tone of everything and how ca- uh, claustrophobic and weirdly paranoid the movie makes you feel, I think that they they did an almost Star Trekky thing of uh, the Bones McCoy and Kirk pairing are the three yeah. guys in this yeah. thing where they all have a different personality that represents a different viewpoint on what they're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. David Morse is definitely like Norm on Cheers, who's the like. Uh guy who's been married for a long time to the same woman and is kind of disaffected with life but he really wants to hear about all the chicks that sam's been banging right (laughs) and you know living vicariously through him uh and it's a it's always a weird sort of uh personality trait to have um yeah the the three guys i thought i thought they're all great um renner's fine you know i i don't know what to make of him as an actor uh because he generally doesn't have to do that much i feel like the stuff he's doing here is 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 fairly effective even though i feel like his character is like i don't know he just seems a little needlessly reckless Mm -hmm. um he very i think they kind of even him out as it goes oddly enough but when he first shows up it it very much feels like he feels like a movie character where the other two guys feel like more realistic characters well does Um, he does the renner character want to die
0: is is that the subtext that you read out of this? I between the amount of cigarettes that he smokes, he's the only character I notice in the movie who smokes cigarettes, uh-huh. and his recklessness right off the bat. It always seems to me that even though he wants to continue with these things, I fe- there's some sort of like depression or something mo- motivating him, where he he's almost too good at his job and he can't die despite his best efforts to die. Yeah, and. I, I don't think the movie ever comments on that, and it's never any sort of textual thing that the other characters say to him. And I think the the movie actually makes the case more that he is just addicted to the draw of the action and nothing else really pleases him. But I always get a very um, suicidal death wish from him that's never really commented on by the movie.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I would go so far as to say death wish. Although, I don't know, maybe you could, because I I think a little bit of character building that works really well, it actually works better for me than some of the more uh, flashy stuff they do in that first scene or the second scene is when, uh, Anthony Mackey is showing him where he's bunking up and he, uh, Renner pulls the plywood off the wall. Yeah. And they put, they put a plywood directly, to stop
0: mortars from coming through the window. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he puts his bed directly in front of the window because he likes the sunlight and, and Mackey's just like, Jesus Christ. Uh, but, it, but his, his, uh, it's less of a death wish thing and more of like a uh well it's not going to stop anything anyway like a mortar's going to go right through this place or what you know it's like it's 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 an understanding of the uh the idea that as soon as you get as soon as you get there you are already dead that kind of that kind of thing so why even bother trying to uh to worry about it sure so um,
0: so is renner's character lying at the end when he says that the best way to go about my job is to not think about things
1: like that See, I,
0: I I question that because I think he's lying there because I think he does think about these things and he is I don't know, like I, I I guess this would be the question that you can respond however you want. Is Renner the Renner character here is maybe one of my least likable heroes of any movie, mm-hmm. I think. He's I think he's like thoroughly unlikable. Uh, just from yeah, how yeah. he handles his business to his point of view to the way that he treats his family at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know how you feel about him like that. I, I think he's sort of like a disgusting person. That's I don't the movie is maybe commenting on like taking down the kind of hero trope and showing like the different kinds of characters that can fit the soldier mold and everything like that. But I always I always find that the movie's fairly effective just because I don't like that character so much yeah, that it almost yeah. even impacts how I feel about watching the movie because I find him so hard to watch as that person sometimes
1: yeah he's definitely not someone to be idolized which is which makes that scene with the general kind of interesting because yeah he is uh i i i don't know if I would go so far as to say sociopath but maybe um he's he is very unlikable and he's uh his actions in the movie are even though they they get things done they are extremely reckless and put a lot of people in danger right and even at the end uh gets eldritch the third guy there gets him shot in in the leg and i mean i guess you could argue that that was good for him but i mean in the in the grand scheme of things he he almost gets that guy killed he uh um he thinks he he th- uh he almost kills that innocent guy that he gets dropped off at the dude's house because he thinks it's the little kid's house or something. And he's, he's clearly reckless and it's, uh, he does that annoying thing
0: of not answering his radio ever, which is extremely annoying when they're, when they're trying to talk to each other because communication is obviously key in their situation. He does not respond. It's
1: kind of, it's kind of interesting because some of the stuff that he does, maybe this is what you're talking about as far as like taking down that, that hero trope. If you, if you put this character, in any other action movie, this guy is f- unquestionably the hero of the story. Right, like you know, he's the 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 uh, hard ass uh, cop who is, is getting yelled at by the captain over his radio, and he you know pulls the radio out and throws it out the window so he can chase the guy through the the crowded cities. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's the the, but the here, scene
0: where the police chief says like, "God damn it, I hate you," but you're such a good cop. That that kind yeah, of thing. But yeah.
1: here you have Anthony Mackey who is. I think he's I think he's excellent in this movie. I thought he was really really good, and his character is so is such a good counterpoint to to Renner because Anthony Mackie is the one taking all of this incredibly seriously. He is he's the well pro. aware yeah what's
0: that he's the professional of the group
1: yeah. yeah he is well aware of what's on the line. He's well aware of that lives are at stake, not just his but everybody else's, and he understands that what Renner is doing is going to get a lot of people killed eventually
0: yes and they his his arc which is kind of nice is that uh it ends with you know they have that scene in the beginning or middle where he talks about he's not sure if he wants to have a kid uh with his girlfriend or girl or whatever his wife or whatever she is at that point but then by the end of it that's all he wants which really feeds nicely into his thing of he's the professional he just wants to do the job and go home and doesn't get particularly get anything out of it uh it's really just a job for him at that point and renner's character is compromising his ability to go home he's making him work long hours
1: basically yeah yeah and Renner's thing is you know i i just to circle back a little bit i i don't know if maybe maybe you would call this a death wish but it seems like the curse of someone who's the curse of someone who's very good at what they do like the best at what they do where it's like it's the uh uh the sir lancelot problem where you you're greatest joy would to finally be bested by somebody Mm -hmm. you know which is why he keeps all of the the pieces of things that almost killed him you know they're just reminders of of people that almost got him kind of thing yeah um so i don't know if i if he necessarily has a death wish but i think uh like let's put it this way if he had a death wish he would have got blown up at the end with that guy with the bombs on him you know he wouldn't have run away right yeah so i think there is a. I think there is probably a a level of of it where it's all kind of a game and he's very good at the game and he's not going to just let someone beat him, but he's always waiting for someone to be better than he is.
0: Yeah, I think he... I guess if I were to dig into his character, I would say that his death wish is almost, like, subconscious on some level. Like, he's not actively depressed or anything, but he is... I would probably describe him as sociopathic. He seems mm-hmm. to have little care for other people's emotional states. Sure, um, yeah. He seems to... He has that, like, heartbreaking scene with his kid where he's talking about, like, when you're young, you'll love everything, but then eventually when you're older, there's maybe only one or two things that you realize you actually still love. Yeah. Um yeah. And I think that he... Just his ability to walk away from his family at the end there shows his kind of, I guess it's almost like an autistical, like unemotional state. He just he just, he's just a sociopath or psychopath who can't relate to any other people and only gets his drive from this one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, I don't know, I I don't know why it seems that way because I just I don't see, I I don't see the the recklessness to me seems like it's driving that. F- that sense of like, I just want this to be over on some level. Like I'm not happy fundamentally and doing this is the way that gets him happy, but it's also just because he maybe sees it as an out. It's like a very complicated love hate relationship. He has with disarming bombs in Iraq.
1: And what I find is the most interesting part about him is it's not, he's not one note. I don't think he, uh, they don't play him as just, Oh, the reckless guy who's going to possibly get people killed because he starts out that way and definitely maintains that through the movie. But he also has moments where he very much is working with the team, like the the uh, the scene where um, he and Mackie are, are are on the sniper rifle trying to take those guys out out of the uh, out of the, the hut that it, that they killed Ray Fiennes. Um, like there's there's the team teamwork aspe- uh, aspect in there gives him a juice box. Um, he doesn't drink the juice box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, uh, I think, I think the easier option there would have been to have him drink the juice box. But yeah, just that, just that little bit shows you that he's not a complete psychopath. Right. And that he is, he's not just out there for the, uh, for the action and for the, for the adrenaline rush. He is out there to actually do the job and do it right. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's a, he's an interesting character because uh, I think one of the biggest, I, I forgot how – I had seen this once before, and I forgot what happened towards the end. And uh, the reveal that the kid is not dead mm-hmm. I thought was incredibly effective as far as the, the, the Renner character because the thing that's cool about these characters is all three of them have experienced a, tr- a trauma in, in the movie, like a mental trauma. Usually – well, all, three, re- re- all revolving around somebody getting killed. Um, and the way that they deal with it is interesting and uh, different. Whereas you've got Mackie, who, uh, when Guy Pierce gets blown up at the beginning, he reacts of a, a, a certain way, where he, for the rest of the movie, is very focused on getting out of there and very focused on not dying and not getting anybody else killed and doing the job right. Uh, then you've got Eldritch, who, uh, is not only affected by Guy Pierce's death, but then is pushed over the edge into renner territory by the death of the psychiatrist yep um and then you've got renner who is already on the edge and then is pushed over the edge by what he perceives to be the death of this kid who sells dvds on the base um so it's, much it's so interesting
0: that interesting you oh, so, yeah go ahead you can finish
1: i was just gonna say so much so that he he up until that point he's still a soldier doing stuff by the book quote unquote even if he's doing it you know bending the rules a bit he's still playing by soldier rules and he's not really going that crazy after he thinks this kid has been killed he you know uh hijacks a car and pulls a gun on this guy to get him to drive him out off the base to where he thinks that this kid's from and he ends up busting into a house that is is just some random house and pulling a gun on this guy and his wife and then he's got to truck his way back to the uh to the, the base and then on uh the next big job that they're sent on is to investigate the suicide bombing and then you know he takes uh Eldritch and uh Anthony Mackey and convinces them that oh we have to go out by ourselves into this unknown in order to find these guys because they must be right there. And that's ends up getting Eldritch almost killed. Yep. And then uh he's he's gone this far off the deep end and then the next day the kid shows up at the base again and the look on his face and the way he reacts is just like so well done in that he's completely shaken by it and uh and doesn't really know how to handle it i, I thought it was really really cool the way that each one of these had each one of these characters had very different reactions to uh, uh different sets of trauma
0: i would um i guess i would argue that i don't think eldritch becomes the renner character or he doesn't move towards that i always see his arc as um, I think the, there's like these subtle hints of uh, childishness in, in a lot sure. of ways. Like yeah. the way that they when, they, when they're just kind of screwing around, like they're wrestling each other when they're drinking, when they're off time. Uh, he Renner plays soccer with that kid as kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Uh, the juice boxes, the drink, there's no way not to look childish when you're drinking juice boxes. I understand they probably carry those because they're easy to carry around and drink from very easily, yeah. but they, yeah. it is a very childish thing to drink from them. And the Eldritch one he seems to me to be the youthful one in it at first. He he can't handle the trauma as effectively as the other two can. But I think that when he gets shot and sent home is his grand awakening where he he can now, he's now confident enough to tell Jeremy Renner like the fuck off, basically like, like how dare you do this to me? Like you idiot, what were you thinking? And I see it him, him coming of age is him getting the balls to yell at Renner about that and what he's done and like how stupid his outlook is on things. And, uh, that was only correcting, that was just, uh, not correcting, but that was like my thoughts on him as a character. However, I think that the um, the kid stuff is the weakest part of the movie, actually.
1: Yeah. Because I don't really
0: understand it.
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird, well, just to touch on the elders thing real quick. I, uh, I would agree that the end of his character arc is definitely when he kind of comes of age to tell Renner to go fuck himself. But um, before he gets there, he does enter into you know he starts oh, off sure. as yep. being on the same side as Mackie where they're like this guy's going to get us killed what are we doing here and then when they come to the point where Renner is like follow me into the basically literal abyss eldritch is like let's do it man i'm so ready to go fucking kill some that's people. true he does you know? he
0: does leave and Mackie's the only one who wants to or sanford is the only one who wants to stay back yeah,
1: yeah. but yeah the kid stuff is is kind of weird cuz I, I i i wrote down in my notes once they once they get into that stuff, uh, like when they find the body and everything, I was I was I wrote finally a a quote unquote plot shows up about an hour into the movie. And it's really strange because it does feel it's the, the only thing in the movie that feels like a traditional plot, um where it's, you know, it's a motivation I, I outside that, of his
0: job, interestingly. Like he the, before yeah. that they'd all been about the jobs, and the kid adds this bit of personal conflict to it that kind of intermingles with the plot.
1: Yeah, and they, they get into some stuff where it looks like they're gonna tie together the uh uh the guy who was watching them with the video camera earlier in the movie, and it seems like it's gonna get a little bit more movie-ish with the way that like there's going to be a bad guy or something but that never materializes and then once the kid t- finds out the kid's not dead that's just that's just it it's just over
0: yes i mean is your is your take of that just that i because i i wonder if i'm being confused into thinking that that is supposed to be like thematically tied into the the movie's plot overall or, or more of that it's like saying something about runner's character because i I don't know what it's saying about Renner's character, and I'm I'm left to believe that I just wonder if it's a statement on, like, who can tell what's what in war, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, who who knows what the reality is of, like, of, or if what you're looking at uh, doesn't line up with what's actually going on, which has been hammered home by all the scenes of when they're defusing bombs, and they have to keep their eyes on all the bystanders who are standing around them. Like, everyone yeah. looks very suspicious when they're just kind of standing around, and the bombers blow up the IEDs using cell phones and things like that. So. There's this like nothing is what it seems in this war zone. And so does that mean that anything that Renner believes has to become compromised or potentially not true once he like looks further into it?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a way to really lean into the paranoia of what they're of where they are and what they're doing. Um because it it makes something as innocuous as someone selling DVDs look a lot more sinister. Um And then obviously turned out to be just someone selling DVDs as far as we know anyway. Right. Um, But yeah, there's also an element to it where it's, it almost feels like, it almost feels like it's, we're watching him create this thing in his head, you know, like maybe that's part of it where he is taking this stuff in and assuming there has to be something more sinister behind it. So he then kind of creates this story. Uh, which he then acts out on, which involves him going off base and, you know, trying to hunt this person down, which he doesn't even know if this, what he's doing. Right. He's just creating this situation that he has to, uh, has to uh, inject himself in. And then once it's over, it's over.
0: Well, I always wonder, is he doing it to, is he doing it to try to normalize his feelings in a way that this is how normal people should feel? Because I, I don't, like I, if the Renner character doesn't really care for his family... I have a hard time understanding why he connects with this kid so much. Sure. And yeah. to me, like, I could understand if he was approaching this kid as a, like, okay, I realize within me that I'm just kind of like sociopathic and how I'm going about things. But this, like, my chance to kind of redeem humanity is to get revenge for this kid. And mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if the movie convinces me that that's the case or if I'm even supposed to think that that's what he's doing.
1: Yeah, I um, I don't know. Yeah, because he's not really he's not really presented as someone who would act on that instinct. That, that sort of uh you know redemption instinct like that um yeah i'm not i'm not really sure that's what's uh, confusing it,
0: about it to me with that kid yeah. like i i it feels like it's it should belong in there i just don't know really what it's saying about the character or if it's like even appropriate for what i think the character should do
1: yeah it almost it almost feels like that story should be given to somebody else
0: yeah um, the the kid the uh, eldritch kid would seem the most like Yeah likely.
1: yeah eldritch eldritch you know cuz i found myself thinking as i was watching this it almost feels like this should be anthony mackey's mov- movie it should be uh or or even eldritch's movie but i uh but more probably more mackey than than eldritch cuz mackey's a more interesting character and that renner's character should be more of a peripheral i don't mean peripheral as in like not in the movie as much, but just like the focus seems like it should be on Mackie and you get to, you're seeing what Renner is doing through his point of view, sort of. Um, You're
0: hoping that most of the audience relates to Mackie more than they do to Renner. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, But it's an interesting, it's it, I do find it an interesting choice to take, to focus on Renner and make him essentially, like I said, in any other movie, he is the, he's John McClane, you know, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. But in this situation, in a real life, he comes off as just a liability, really. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think the I think the character work is um, strong and everything. On, on like a, a technical level, I love the paranoia sense that they give. And the, yeah. like the yeah. run-and-gun gorilla style really adds to this. There are cameras all around you watching. And as they're sort of mm-hmm. having to scan the rooftops and windows and stuff as they do their jobs, uh, you get a good sense of the just the stress of that kind of insur- insurgency warfare that's going on. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I say that as someone who's never served, and we can actually get into some of the criticism from people who have served at this movie, which is interesting. But it, it's a – I think it just does a really good job of getting that across. And, like, everyone looks suspicious if you just are yeah. inclined to think that they are suspicious or if they're just in the wrong area at the wrong time.
1: Yeah, some of the best stuff – I thought some of the best um – um tension building stuff was uh uh, the scene where he's trying to disconnect the car full of bombs Yeah, yeah and you know anthony mackie's up on the roof and he's just watching more and more people come out and start watching and they're not doing anything they're just coming out and standing quietly watching what's going on and as more and more people start coming out that creates more and more liability for them as to you know which one of these guys has a trigger for this bomb or which one of these guys has a gun or are they signaling from the minaret down to the guy with the video camera? Right. Why, what, the what are they waving at? The video camera. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the one ties into the, much, when they
0: invade the, uh, the bomb making warehouse, they have the camcorder cause they're making insurgent videos, obviously. So it ties into the, like the insurgents do use the video camera technology. Yeah. So it's like, you're, yes. you're unsure yeah. of why this guy has that camera.
1: Yeah. Um, the one thing that I was, I felt was a little bit, uh, well, I don't know. I'll ask you how you feel about this. I I thought the first scene with Guy Pierce really great, high tension, really well done. Uh, I thought, I think the overhead shot of, of Renner discovering the, uh, pinwheel of bombs is like an all time great shot. That's an awesome shot where he pulls them all out like that. The spider Um, web of
0: bombs, basically. Yeah.
1: I did kind of, and maybe this is why they get into the kids' stuff as well. There was a certain point where I found the bombs to have a bit of a diminishing return because it was like, it's like they were sitting down, you know, he sat down to write this movie and he goes, all right, the first scene, there's one bomb. The second scene, there's five bombs. The third scene, there's a car with like 15 bombs in it. Yeah. And then later on, there's a guy. Who's got like twenty-five bombs strapped. You know, it's like they just kept adding more bombs. Yeah. And it's like one bomb, five bombs, twenty-five bombs, they're all gonna do the same thing, you know, more or less. The yeah. result is gonna be the same.
0: That's true. It's um I guess I I didn't feel diminishing returns, maybe. Um I think the I think the movie does a good enough job of selling the tension there, uh like outside of the setup of like the bombs getting bigger and bigger. And things like that. Like, I think they add a little bit of a more personal flair. Like, the the guy at the end with the vest full of bombs is probably the good... Like, it's a good way to end it, just in the sense that Renner uh, has to abandon him. And it seems like it's kind of a humanizing thing for him Mm -hmm. at that Mm -hmm. point. Because it's his final mission before he goes home, I think. We don't see him do anything after that. Um, And, yeah, I, I, I... I don't even know how true – like I I always think of like, man, they have a lot of bombs. I I, I anticipate <laughs> that they did have a lot of bombs when these units go around in Iraq and maybe this is like an everyday occurrence that they have to do mm-hmm. these things. But it, I always notice that of like – um. I guess that's the reason it's so incredibly stressful obviously is that there's so many of them for the year that they're out there basically that it's just like – it's just a day-to-day just this endless grind of – being extremely nervous for a good portion of the day and then going to bed and waking up to another one.
1: Yeah, I, I think the, um, you know, when I, when I say that there's a diminishing return because it just feels like they just kept adding bombs every scene, I say that being aware that the bombs aren't really the point of the scenes. You know, maybe the first one it is, but the as you go on, the stress level isn't from the bomb. It's from the stuff surrounding the bomb. Right. Uh, you know, because like I said, a bomb goes off. The same, it's the same result. You know, it's just that depends on how many people get killed or if nobody gets killed. It's not really the, the stress isn't the stress isn't the bomb. It's the tension building around the situation and in, in, from the environment that they're in, encapsulated think, by
0: the. Oh, sorry, encapsulated by when uh, they're blowing up the bombs remotely and Renners like oh i forgot my gloves and he drives down to go get there and they have that sort of semi-serious conversation about like you know these things just blow up by accident
1: all the time that would be a shame if that happened yeah and even when the even when the psychiatrist gets blown up it's not even like a big deal you know it's a big deal to eldritch but like we see it from inside the the humvee and the bomb goes off and they don't even move in the car yeah they just kind of like hang out and it's like well fuck he got he got hit yeah where
0: did that come from
1: right yeah but you know compare that to the first scene with renner uh where you know half of the scene is him holding a gun on a cab driver Mm -hmm. and the uh and the tension that's built because of uh because of that sequence where you know is this guy driving a car full of bombs is he about to do this massive thing versus you know i thought that stuff was really well done and i also like the line too which I don't think I appreciated enough at the time when I watched it the first time, it was uh, after they drag him away. Uh, I, Mackie says, was he an insurgent? And Renner's like, well, even if he wasn't, he probably is now. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I guess the, um, the Iraqi reaction always strikes me. I guess they're just being defiant in the face of the U.S. forces. But I'm, yeah. I always wonder about the cab driver. Like, what's he thinking? Like, why, why yeah. is he doing that? It's, it, yeah. you know, they've, they blockaded the street. Uh, Renner pulls a gun on him. He doesn't back away quickly. And I guess it's just a feed into the paranoia of not knowing what's going on. But if if he is innocent, he's making a very strange choice about how he's handling the situation.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um, the
0: I, I guess the I didn't really have much else outside of the technical outside of um liking just the paranoia and the way that's shot and everything like that. And I think that the the, the actors do a very effective job of um playing soldiers in this like i i feel yeah. everything feels very right they did a lot of training with uh, infantry people and, and stuff like that for the movie um yeah
1: i i definitely think that uh, uh if you go back and you watch a lot of older movies before let's say 1999 um you can tell that the people in these action movies didn't really do any weapons training um and it it feels so weird now to see like if you go back and you watch predator and The Predator is about this, you know, uh, team of uh, top-level yeah. commandos that are weapons experts and blah, 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 blah. And every one of them holds the gun like a complete idiot yeah. because <laughs> they're, they're holding the guns. I, I've, it, it occurred to me why they're doing this at one point. Um, I'm watching. And I'm like, man, Arnold shoots every gun with the, the stock under his arm and not, like, put up against his chest. And he just—it just doesn't look right. And I realize the reason he's doing that is because it makes his bicep look huge. Yeah,
0: he flexes when they hold the guns yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: So I guess you know—I guess it depends what what you're after as far as uh, you know the the storytelling you're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, would the but, Would the bomb disposal experts have lasted against the Predator, though, Clay? That's my question who, to you. You know, that brings up a really good question, which is I've asked many times, which is why is it so hard to make a good Predator movie? They've done four of them, and only one of them, arguably two of them, depending on how you feel about Predator 2, yep. has been good. It's not rocket science. Well, I mean, actually, they've done six if you count the alien ones. All you got to yep. do, yep. pick a time period and add the Predator. <laughs> World have, War II. Have, have you World seen War Predators? World War with the Predator in it. Slam have dunk. You, have you Revolutionary seen... War with the Predator. Pirates. <laughs> put, a, put the Predator on a fucking pirate ship at slam dunk. I don't know what... A uh, mid medieval England knights versus the predator slam dunk. I don't know why they can't get this right. Yeah. They just want to. Um... That would be fantastic. If they did a, uh, an Iraq war featuring the fucking <laughs> predator. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put this in my back pocket. I'm going to pitch this somewhere and be like, no, it's the hurt locker, but instead of bombs, it's the predator. Anthony Mackie's, and, and then watch all the money come rolling in.
0: <laughs> Mackie's on a rooftop spinning around and there's Iraqis everywhere. And he just cuts to like a predator on a rooftop with a cell phone. It's just like, my yeah. God.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Or well, Ray finds, Ray finds is trying to finagle the, 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 uh, the 50 caliber. And all of a sudden you see that, that triple laser thing on his head. He gets he
0: gets kind of shot like the predator weapon impacts people, or it just goes right through you and just knocks yeah. you down and stuff like that. Yeah, getting hit yeah. by one of those rounds is certainly not uh, an enjoyable experience. I, don't, I wouldn't say
1: the um. Have you seen Predators, the newest one? The newest one is the Predator.
0: Oh, just it's predators, just called Predator. Okay,
1: Predators is the one that. Uh,
0: oh, that's the the alien world where they go to, right? Yeah, that Brode.
1: one wasn't bad, but again, it's they're missing what makes Predator good. You know, it's not. It's not oh let's let's go to that predator homeworld and see what that's like. It's no, it's the predator versus a very specific group of people. It's and in the newest one, it's yeah, it's not it's not great. It
0: just falls into the trap of people like this. They must want more predators in their movie.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Just the the thing is that there's there's the one makes it the most effective,
1: and you can't. Stop I think him. man, I think we're on to something. I think the Hurt Locker, but with the Predator, is a great fucking idea.
0: <laughs> CGI, I'm in. Um. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with this one, or should we take a break and then go to the final thoughts section of this? Um,
1: that's pretty much it. I liked, uh, I liked how if you if you want to extend your head cannon out, you could just re- you could just say that Anthony Mackie and Jeremy Renner are actually playing the Falcon in Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was thinking about that. I was like, man, yeah, the Falcon is is basically Mackie's character, more or less. That's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, And also just uh, another little bit of character work that I thought was surprisingly effective with Renner's character. Um, It's interesting with his character because I think it swings really far in both directions where it's like, okay, he's a little bit of a caricature, and then on the other end it's like maybe a little bit too subtle, but it still works really well, like the thing with the window, is uh, all of his jokes – are incredibly fucking dark, like it's all like uh, when he's when he's messing around with the kid and he's like, you know, if you uh, if you if I score if uh, you score if you stop the ball, I'll give you five dollars. But if uh, if I score a goal, I'm gonna cut your fucking head off. And yeah, then it, the yeah. kid's like, what? <laughs> and then he's like, nah, I'm just joking. I'm just I'm just joking. And he has another joke like that, or you know, previously where it's like a really really dark, quote unquote joke that is it, it is it does. It's surprisingly effective at showing you that this guy's got some problems.
0: Yeah. And the same with um the only conversation we've seen between him and his uh the mother of his child is they're cooking and he's talking about a mission in Iraq that someone got blown yeah. up on, so he's he's yeah. clearly infatuated with that kind of stuff. Yeah, let's um we'll play take a break. We'll play an audio clip from the movie, then we'll come back and we'll give our final thoughts about the hurt locker. You know, you love playing with that. You love know, playing with all your stuff animals. You love your mommy, your daddy, you like your pajamas.
1: Yeah.
0: You love everything, don't you?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: but you know what, buddy? As you get older,
1: some of the things that you love
0: might not seem so special anymore. You know,
1: like a in the box.
0: Maybe... You realize it's just a piece of tin and a stuffed animal. And then only you get the few things you really love. (laughs) By the time you get to my age, maybe it's only one or two things. With me, I think it's one. All right. So thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to do that. A couple of dollars a month, you get extra stuff, like extra podcasts. We've got about 50 podcasts out there now. And, uh, outside of that, it's a lot of videos behind the scenes stuff, blah, blah, blah. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you're interested in supporting we real, right. Do real every
1: right. podcast you can think of. That's right. Absolutely. Every Pick single a genre. Topic. We're in it.
0: Uh, what do you want to say to for varying final- degrees of success? What do you want to say for final thoughts here about this movie, Clay? I I like this one. It's um if I I didn't have too many criticisms during our main section, I think mm. it's it's you can I hate this criticism cuz yeah, I feel like you could say it about 80% of movies. I feel this movie is about 15 minutes too long, kind of um sure. and I was wondering if that was tying into your diminishing returns about the bombs sequences.
1: Mm-hmm. Um I just feel well, you know a- it's funny cuz the stuff I I don't necessarily disagree uh but I feel like it feels long once they get into the uh, uh extrapolating out of the kid stuff That's so true. like i I've, I've always I've always felt that the part where it gets long and kind of feels like it's going off the rails, not off the rails, but like
0: not in the direction the, I'm interested in going is yeah how I would describe is it.
1: is the is the part where they go and investigate the the um suicide bombing and then they go off into the you know wilderness to try and find some guys it just feels it feels weird. Um, it feels like that could have been cut back or something. It just feels so much different than the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And outside of that, um, you know, it's a it's a certain kind of action movie. I guess is so it's certainly not a predator or a commando or anything like yeah. that. It's a um, it's much more of like a psychological action movie than anything. It can Definitely. kind of be yeah. tiring to watch or exhausting to watch, and it's not really packed to the gills with action it's sort of packed to the gills with tension would be a better way to look at and i think that that can just kind of wear on you after a while which is why i think that it's it feels a little bit long um in some Mm -hmm. ways but Mm -hmm. at the same time i think it's even if it's not intentional there's no way that you can make a movie about the subject matter and not try to wear down your audience by it like that's the point i think is to kind of break you and make you feel that you are just emotionally drained by the end of it like these guys are but outside of that i think it's really good um I'm not surprised at uh well, let, let me actually look that up. What, what do you have for final thoughts about it?
1: You know, it, it's a weird one because I I enjoy it. I think it's technically very well done, but I don't know if I – if it really, you know, blows me away, to use a, a semi-intentional pun. Mm. Um, I think it's – I would call it a – I would give it a – an a minus for me, where it's like it's it's really well done, everybody in it's really good, the characters are really interesting, but there's just something about it that doesn't grab me the way I think it should, and i don't know if that's if I had seen it in the big on the big screen when it came out, maybe that would be a little bit different or something maybe it's like an x factor that's just missing um but yeah it's good i would I would recommend it, but i'm not gonna it's not one that would be on my like top ten list of movies I think people absolutely need to see.
0: Yeah, this was my third watch of it too. Um yeah.
1: and I don't know if it improves with rewatch, really. Yeah. I, I didn't love it the first time I watched it. And watching it this time, I I think I appreciated more about it. Yeah, I but got more still, out of it. But even still like time, yeah. I didn't I I didn't super remember everything, but as stuff was happening, I remembered it. It was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah, then this happens. And it was it wasn't it wasn't really standing out to me. It was just, it was kind of essentially how I remembered it. Um, But yeah, there was, there was more stuff that stood out, you know, on a smaller level, like character work that I thought was really great. I still think the cameos are really strange. What's Um, up? (laughs) I feel like 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 the doctor. shouldn't the doctor, don't you think the doctor should have been uh, like somebody famous too?
0: Is he not? I was thinking he kind of, isn't that, um... no, it's not. I always, I always think that the psychiatrist is, um, Who's the guy who married J-Lo for a little bit? Oh, Mark uh, Anthony. Mark Mark Anthony. He, yeah. he kind of looks like Mark Anthony, but it's he not does. him. does, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's um, – here, I'll, I'll, you tell me which movie is better when I pair Mark. these
1: side-by-side. Hurt Locker or Avatar? Um, I mean, I'm going to uh, – anything versus Avatar, I'm going <laughs> with the other option nine times out of ten.
0: And I'm not just bringing this because Cameron and Bigelow used to be a ex, or our exes and
1: were together for a little bit. Hurt Locker or The Blind Side? Do you remember the Blind Side? I never saw it, but i I am aware of it. Uh, so this I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say probably the Hurt Locker. Blind Side is uh, I'm going through the 2009 Best Picture nominees.
0: If people are sure. not sure here, but the Blind Side to me when that came out felt like it was the weird joke nomination that year. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a comedy about Sandra Bullock being like a mother to a football player.
1: Yeah, based um, on a true story. Yes, but you know, still uh, the Hurt Locker or District Nine. Uh oh Hurt Locker. I mean Di- not that I don't like District 9, but District 9 is like 55% of a good movie. This is a weird year for the, the District movies. District 9 was nominated for Best Picture?
0: Yeah, so Hurt Locker Holy or shit. An Education, if you remember An Education.
1: Uh well, I mean everyone needs an education, so I'm going to say definitely stay in school instead of watching the Hurt Locker. But I don't I don't remember what the movie is about.
0: I don't either, really. It's a coming-of-age drama based on a screenplay by Nick Hornby. No idea. So Hurt Locker, or let's say, I would imagine that Hurt Locker is aged better than an education. I will say that. Mm. Uh, the Hurt Locker or Inglorious Bastards. Ooh, it's the first show
1: competition, I think that it's run into. Yeah, that's a tough. I mean, for me, I'm going Inglorious Bastards. I that that's a movie that I f- I feel like I like more every time I see it. So that's gonna I'm gonna have to go Inglorious Bastards. Hurt Locker or Precious? You remember Precious? Uh, is that based on the novel push by Sapphire? Yes. No, yeah. I'm not aware of that movie. Okay. That's the one with the overweight, uh, black. Yeah, I, I, I remember it. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that one. Uh, I can understand why they would go for that one maybe. Um, but I, I, I don't know it well enough to, to make it, uh, comment on it. I,
0: I've never seen it. It has not, no one has talked about precious since 2009. Yeah. So
1: yeah, it was, it was like a big deal for that award season. And then I don't think anybody's ever even brought it up again. Even the joke got old.
0: Yes.
1: She was on SNL. She was
0: a host on SNL
1: for when this movie came out. Yeah. I had a blog that was called uh, something, something, colon, based on the novel Push by Sapphire. (laughs) Um, Hurt Locker? uh, Anyway, yeah, continue.
0: Hurt Locker or A Serious Man? Uh, Ooh.
1: Have I seen that? I think I've seen that. I've seen it. I don't remember. It's a Cohen
0: Cohen movie. The Cohen Brothers. And
1: who the hell's the guy in that? Uh, Michael Stolbarg. Oh, I'm thinking of a different movie. I'm thinking of a movie with uh, the King's Speech guy. Uh, oh no, this Colin, is Colin.
0: Whatever, Colin Firth. Yeah, this is the yes. um, their '60s movie about a Jewish guy whose life falls apart.
1: Yeah, I don't think I saw that one. Okay, I think Coen Brothers is a, that's a tough one because they're always going to you know be in the top couple percent no matter what they do, unless you're watching Lady Killers. Yeah. Um Serious Man is
0: one of my least favorite Cohen Brother movies. So Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah.
1: A- it's I I it make sense that they're there, not even having seen it, it makes sense that they would be chosen. But uh I feel like out of all of these ones, it honestly it feels like if we're really going I would say Avatar and Hurt Locker are probably the ones that are the most likely to win. That uh I would say Yeah, let, let's finish I, it and then you'll have your sure, thoughts. Sure, There's sure. two more. So Hurt Locker or Up? Ooh, that's interesting. I feel like that. I feel like it could have gone up.
0: Yeah, I'd yeah, agree. That's, I I that's, I, I, that's, I might vote up over Hurt Locker actually. Yeah,
1: if only. I mean, I think you've got. Uh, well, what's the last one? Up in the air. Oh yeah. Oh, that was a great movie. I like that movie a lot. Um, I that's don't the Clooney think,
0: one. Uh, yeah. right? yeah, it's the Clooney one where he's the downsizer at a company who flies around. Yeah, everywhere.
1: I don't think that one has enough uh juice behind it to to beat out because i was going to say the thing that's interesting about this year is there's a lot of there a lot of them are very unique for uh and and non-traditional it's a good swath
0: um, of genre this year yeah
1: it's, it's a sci-fi they've
0: got a comedy they've got a uh animated movie they've got two animated movies because up and avatar are up there it's got yeah. a sort of like middle tier um Co- adult comedy and up in the air
1: and stuff like that. Yeah. It's got a Coen Brothers. A lot, a lot of diff, uh, diverse representation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in content and in uh, in in creative side. And you've got uh, Quentin Tarantino and James Cameron, who are the two like. Heavy oh, hitters. it's probably going to be these guys, you yeah. ones in there for good, and the Coen Brothers for for good measure. Um, hey, yeah, that's tough. That's an interesting year because I like. Uh, out of all of those movies, I feel like the only ones that would. That I would go, oh, that's interesting. Are Hurt Locker up and Inglorious Bastards? The rest of them, I, you know.
0: I'm exactly the out. same. I would probably yeah. rank them Inglorious Bastards up and then Hurt Locker would be my third yeah. if I was voting that way.
1: But, you know, I think if you, uh, not to say that things are these things are based on anything other than quality, and I don't know how far politics goes into this, if you've got Inglorious Bastards up and Hurt Locker, uh, well, I guess best film. You're already past that because I was going to say, it it makes sense if you're if those are your final three, you go with the uh, first ever female director to win a best acting or a best directing Oscar. Yep. Um, but this is best picture, not best director. So she won. Yeah, she won is, best
0: director. Obviously. Yeah. yeah I yeah. feel like the
1: yeah. for best picture, I feel like the playing field is more or less equal. So yeah, and any of those three, I think would be would make sense to me.
0: All right, that's it for the Hurt Locker. Thank you very much, you guys, for listening. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to give a couple dollars a month, it's much appreciated. Then there's the uh, Star Trek podcast, the music video podcast, everything else keeps rolling. And we're going to be back with The Weight of Water. That is the title of it, right? Sure. I we- think so. I think it's the way it is. It's a big Bigelow's yeah. uh, lowest rated The Weight of Water. I think it came out in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. So I've never seen it. Looking forward to it. And then uh, the B-roll Jeez. play,
1: if you want to say what that is uh Near Dark which is the uh vampire movie from the mid to late 80s with a cast made up of all of the best character actors from James Cameron movies. Nice. You've got uh uh Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, um crap, I can never remember the woman's name. Uh Jeanette Goldstein, I believe is her name. Who is as as a chameleon because she was not only uh the stepmom for uh, John Connor in Terminator Two, mm-hmm. who gets you know who uh, you know kills Xander Berkeley with the knife through the face, but she is also Vasquez from Aliens, so she has quite a, oh, wow. a range that she can play. Yes, huh? That's fast. I never realized that's yeah. the same person. That's crazy. They're totally different. Yeah. Totally different people in those two movies. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, it's 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 really cool because it it does put. Uh, these people who are, who at the time at least, were generally regarded as uh, secondary character actors and puts them at the front. And I, they all do, it's like a scene-chewing scene, scene chewing bonanza, which is, it's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> Good. I haven't seen that one either, so I'm looking forward to getting to it. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks with The way to Water, and then the
1: B-roll will come after that. Do you have anything you want to say, Clay, before we sign off here? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, exa- I was thinking about Catherine Bill- Bigelow, you know, because I desperately wanted to do her. Mm-hmm. And... uh uh, she's really interesting because she hit really hard with uh um, Hurt Locker, and then, of course, hit really hard again with Zero Dark 30. And then she's, I mean, she made Detroit a couple of years ago, but you don't really hear her in the zeitgeist as much as you did at the time. And I don't know if that's just because she's sort of off the radar now a little bit, or if it's that uh at the time she was sort of regarded you know, rightly or wrongly as the, the female director full, you know, cap all capitals with quotes around it. Cause you know, there was only one.
0: Yeah. And right. now
1: there are, there are so many great ones working, uh, you know, Ava du- DuVernay and Patty Jenkins and, uh, the woman who did the invitation, which is, I don't know if you've ever seen the invitation. I have. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's good. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, it's interesting that she hasn't really been on the radar, um, too often. I hope I hope she does something soon. The executive produced Triple Frontier,
0: that Netflix movie with Ben Affleck and uh, Oh really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's sort of in the same wheelhouse. I hope I hope the next thing that she does is something that is not just another, you know, uh Hurt Locker, but this time there's like five guys. Unless <laughs> unless they want to give her <laughs> unless they want to give her a Predator movie and then I'm all for it. Yeah, she I mean she certainly has a kind of movie. She likes to do the um the
0: what makes men men kind of movies sure um which is interesting from a female perspective she's i mean she's a she's an action movie director i would say who doesn't do traditional action movies uh but yeah, are more about yeah. the psychological cost of being an action hero
1: almost yeah, uh, yeah
0: so that's kind of a neat little twist on things but she she does have a type of movie that she
1: does yeah it's definitely um they're definitely very heavy on male relationships, which is kind of interesting. And, uh, but yeah, the, the, I feel like you're getting a little bit more out of them than you normally do. Like, if you compare something like Point Break to Hobbs and Shaw, which, uh, I, you know, Hobbs and Shaw is just like two hours of, of muscle flexing and calling each other dickhead. Nice. Uh, and Point Break is just like, like this podcast. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. You can't see it, but I'm constantly flexing the entire time. Uh, where Point Break is like uh, you get into more about the relationship between Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, and like the struggle of Keanu Reeves having to turn on him because they've started to become friends and stuff. And it's yeah. it's got it's a little bit, you know, I, I hesitate to call it Shakespearean, but it's got that kind of uh, um, tone to the to the relationships instead of just like you know, oh, I can punch harder than you can
0: yeah I mean it, it, but that movie also has going for the it's goofy as fuck basically like that's
1: a, it's, oh, yeah. it's
0: a very silly movie but it's actually got some things going on at the same time and the skydiving
1: sequences are actually interesting too uh, so whereas, whereas Hobson Shaw equally silly uh, but that's about where it stops <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as someone who enjoyed that movie but I, I know what I'm watching with that one
0: alright guys thank you very much for listening we're done with The Hurt Locker we'll be back with The Weight of Water uh And I think that'll be it. We'll be moving on our way. So thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.